The views and opinions expressed by various contributors to 98.5 CKWR and its radio programs are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of 98.5 CKWR Wired World, Inc., its broadcasters, staff, or volunteers. Listeners are urged to use their own discernment and draw their own conclusions. Good morning. My name is Rob Daniels and welcome to Visions in Sound. Now, for those that may be joining me for the very first time, Visions in Sound is a movie, TV, and video game soundtrack program that I produce each and every week right here on 98.5 CKWR. Well, here we are, show number 44 of 2021 and show number 1097 if you're keeping track that way. This week, unfortunately... We conclude Halloween Horror Month with a celebration of the 35th anniversary of the film Aliens. Now, joining me as my co-host this week is, of course, uh, Eric Woods from the Cinematic Sound Radio. Eric, good to have you on the show. Good morning, Rob. Thanks for having me. Hey, not a problem. Well, geez, you know, what has what needs to be said about this film? We have discussed it in the past and both love and appreciate the film. Of course, its music by the late, great James Horner is amazing. So for me, when I first saw Aliens, I can, I remember my sister uh, back in maybe 80, I didn't see it in the theater. I know that, I know I didn't see it in the theater because I was too young in 86. It was actually probably closer to 93 by the time I saw the film proper. Um, it just wasn't on my radar. I'd seen it maybe on TV, maybe a few seconds here and there on TV, but never really got into it. Um, so the, that's the first time I remember seeing, seeing the film on, on, uh, on VHS. And it just blew my mind just as to how fantastic it was. And then later, uh, I remember watching it on city TV and, uh, they had extra scenes that weren't in the original theatrical release or the one that was on VHS. So I was like, what is this? What am I watching here? And it was that whole, whole scenes with, um, 
the uh, um, the smart guns. Um, that was that was the main one that I had not had not seen before, and I was like, that to me was amazing. So, Eric, your first experience with aliens. My first experience with aliens was on TV, and I'm pretty sure it was the television premiere because I was about ten or eleven when I saw it. And when they premiered it on television, it was the special edition. And I do remember those guns. And so I thought that is such a great, great scene. And um, the film did make a, quite an impression on me. Um, there were a couple of films in my childhood that really scared me. <laughs> uh, one was Demons, which we talked about earlier on a podcast yes. uh, today. Uh, the other one was Aliens. And it really captured my imagination. And uh, But yeah, really scared me. Um, but I remember seeing it on TV. And so when I saw it again on VHS, I saw the theatrical cut. So I was wondering where all these great scenes that I remember seeing on television, where are they? Right. Where are these century guns that were so incredible? Um, so, yeah, that's when I saw it for the first time. And then I've seen it yeah. uh, dozens and dozens of times since. And my appreciation for this film just goes up and up and up. And it, uh, to, in my opinion, is is one of the greatest uh, sequels ever created, and and, and can uh, is a great example of how you can make science fiction entertaining. Mm -hmm. And it's not just a whole lot of uh, mindless action. The action makes a lot of sense. It 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 tells the story. It helps tell the story, but it still is very deeply rooted in the original film with the with the scares and the lighting and and what they did with Ripley um her character uh, I mean goes through so much in yeah. this movie and yeah uh, uh, Sigourney Weaver got an Academy Award nomination for her effort and uh yeah that was uh it was wonderful to see science fiction at that time getting the recognition that right. it deserved, including right. James Horner for his score, a score that was absolutely mangled in the movie, with the exception of one cue that plays in its entirety, which is Bishop's Countdown. Right. It's the only cue that was composed for this movie that plays in its entirety in the film. And so even though the f score was so mangled, uh, the Academy's music branch felt that it was still good enough to nominate for an Academy Award, and it was uh, very well-deserved. I agree. No, the, the film itself, uh, just... When I first saw it, there was just something about it, the way it was shot, the way it was lit. Um, a friend of mine who uh, um, who I went to college with was... He, he, he said, you can tell it's a James Cameron film because there's a lot of blue light in it. Yes, I was going to mention that. And there, Absolutely. And that is very, very true. You can see it in Terminator. You see it in Aliens. You see it in The Abyss. You see, you know, it kind of runs through his, his filmography. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, I don't know uh, if you've watched it. The films that made us. There's a, yes. uh, there's a, 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 an episode on Aliens and just the stuff that they went through with that whole um british crew and the yeah. and all of the the things I, I, uh, I highly recommend if you do have netflix to watch 
that particular episode because it really shines a light on this amazing film. Um, there is a particularly um, amazing scene that is, and that's the, 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 uh, the load up of the APC character right off, right near the beginning of the film when they land on, on L or getting close to landing on LV 426. And it is one continuous shot. They, they, they go from the weapons or I guess wherever the, the one right through to the, uh, to the APC. And it is an amazing, um, steady cam movement shot. It's just to me, uh, every time I see that shot, I'm going, Oh man, I, I wish I could do stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cameron has an incredible eye and this being yeah. what his third feature, you know, he did Piranha two, then he does Terminator. And then all of a sudden he's handed this franchise, Yeah, but there's a purpose to the movements of, of his camera um, as much as the the film was in editing hell at the time, it is a uh, a briskly paced film. Uh, it's a wonderfully edited movie, even though the running time is over two hours long. But nothing feels over long, even in the um, the expanded edition. I mean, there's only one scene that I probably would have taken out, which um, I'm glad they did for the theatrical version, and that's uh, seeing Newt's family for the very first time. Right. Um, where I think we've discussed this before, where, I mean, we should see the planet as Ripley and the Marines see it for the very first time. We should not have any idea of what this place is like. Mm -hmm. And so seeing Newt and her family beforehand kind of takes that surprise away when we finally are introduced to Newt later on in the movie. But, um, yeah, it's, um, I mean, this was, this could be, this could have been disastrous. Yes. And the fact that James Cameron was handed this movie and he got sole credit for the screenplay he's directing it he's producing it mm -hmm. i mean this is his baby and he's got to you know expand on the story of one of the cinema's greatest horror movies and science fiction films from ridley scott and alien um i mean it was a no-win situation and he pulled it out yeah and and that's what's so impressive and then again uh, a few films later he would go in and do a sequel to his own film terminator 2 and just show us that he can definitely expand on his stories and and that's why i'm so very much looking forward to to avatar 2 even though it's been a decade or so later right i have full confidence in him that it's going to turn out i wish okay you and i disagree on that <laughs> i wish i shared your confidence I don't think people are going to give a crap when it when Avatar Two comes out, which is really strange because of how popular it was back then. You know what I mean? And so it, it's like it's it's only, well, it's not the same amount of time, but I mean, think about the different the, the the time frame between Terminator and Terminator Two. Like, did we ever think we were going to get Terminator Two? And then he pulls that one out, and it's a huge success. It's one of his best movies. Um, I, I'm, I am, yeah, I'm, I might be one of the rare people who are looking forward to Avatar 2, but then again, I enjoyed the first film very much mm -hmm. and, um, I'm really looking forward to continuing that, that journey. And I, and I hope he really does a good job and, and, and he's concentrating only on that. And that's, what's great. He's, he's, he's not doing anything but that. So mm -hmm. being that focused, I, I hope we get something good. Right. Which actually brings us back to a very interesting point about um, or, or it, it, about James Horner 
mm-hmm. the fact that unfortunately he's no longer with us. Um, so, he, um, who is uh, uh, the name is is on the tip of my tongue? Yeah, Simon who, Franklin. Simon Franklin. That's it. Yeah. So he is. Uh, he worked very closely with Horner on uh, on uh, what was since it? Titanic. Since Titanic. Okay. Yeah. I was wondering did a lot how of the alum, the electronic uh, arrangements for um, Horner scores, and he also arranged a lot of the songs from Titanic on, right? And of course, um, completed Horner's score to uh, the Magnificent, Magnificent Seven. Seven. Yeah, yeah, and he wrote a, a fantastic s- a score for a for a, a Chinese film this year, and I can't remember the name, but um, that gives me hope that he's going to write an incredible score for for Avatar too. But yeah, but Horner, I mean, think about it. the time frame in 1986 for Aliens. I mean, he had been, what, four years removed from stepping foot in front of the London Symphony Orchestra for the very first time at the age of 29 with Krull yeah. as being, I think, the youngest person ever to yeah. conduct that orchestra. And now he's back again with Aliens. I mean, he had such a great experience with the re-recording of Brainstorm in 1983 that he wanted to work with the London Symphony again in 86 and that turned out to be a bit of a issue with recording engineer eric tomlinson but i think the way this album sounds by the way yeah if if you haven't heard this score before i mean it's recorded by the legendary eric tomlinson yeah he recorded star wars james bond a whole slew of incredible uh, lso uh, scores in the 70s and 80s this sounds absolutely magnificent yes and i i really hope you can um grasp that and hear the dynamics in the recording it's powerful powerful stuff yeah and really enhances james horner's writing right so um for those that don't know aliens is a 1986 james cameron directed film which we have talked about a follow-up to the to the 79 film alien 57 years has passed since Ellen Ripley had a close encounter with an alien creature from the first movie. Now, she's called back, this time to help a group of highly trained, in quotes, uh, (laughs) colonial marines. This time, however, the aliens have taken over a colony on LV-426. And I've heard it pronounced different ways. It's either uh, Archeron or something else. That's I've heard it pronounced another way. I've never heard. Oh, it you've that never way. heard that? Okay. No, I have not. That's something new. Oh, okay. I didn't know it had an actual name. I just thought it had like a designation, a military designation. Yeah, LV four twenty six. It's yeah, like, yeah. The, no, in the novel, and I believe the script, which I do have with me tonight. Okay. Um, I will. I will look it up, and because I do remember it being called either. Um, Archeron or something along those those lines. Huh. There is a YouTube channel that I follow. It's called Alien Theory, and um, the guy is really really good. Uh, he reads. Um, he has, uh, of course, it's called Alien Theory. So it's a theory about different aspects of of uh, of the comic books, the movies. Uh, you know, Alien Three, kind of an, uh, an unappreciated. Gem, oh, it is uh, yes for sure, and we we can we'll discuss that another another day. Um, <laughs> I hope so. Another day, but, well, yeah, it's it's coming up on an anniversary year next year, awesome. so we'll be discussing that. Um, but yeah, aliens right now um, for me um, is one of those films that I can put on and just enjoy. 
absolutely mm-hmm. enjoy. Now we have dis- we discussed the score. I think we'll get right to it. Um, this is, uh, as you said, James Horner, um, who actually would go on to collaborate with Cameron again on Titanic. Um, the score was released in deluxe form in 2001 on the Verez Saraband label. So that's 20 years ago. My that's, goodness. That's, that's, that, I remember, and it's I remember, one of the, I remember buying this. Yeah. I remember getting it too. And it still remains one of the best produced soundtrack albums of all time. I think, I mean, the notes that Nick Redman wrote are just gold, but yeah, it, yeah. it remains an incredible listen from start to finish. All right. Well, let's get right to it. And uh, as we're celebrating the 35th anniversary of James Cameron, or sorry, uh, James Horner's rather, Aliens, back in a bit.
And with a little bit of music from the 1986 film Aliens, that's music by, of course, the late, great James Horner. Welcome back to Visions and Sound, as this week we are celebrating the 35th anniversary of Aliens. Now, if you're interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that I do play here on the show, by all means, you can contact me at, of course, visionsinsound at gmail.com. You can also try me online at facebook.com slash visionsinsound. I am on the Twitter at Visions Sound. You can also try my website, visionsinsound.ca. I'm on the, and you know, Eric, I love this term that you use, podcatchers, um, on the good pods. So just type in Visions and Sound. You can find me that way. I'm actually uh, eight, eighth this week on, the, uh, on, on, a, uh, on a sliding scale of, uh, of, uh, <laughs> of, uh, of ranking. Um, so I'm uh, out of, of, I think there's like 50, oh, there's maybe hundreds, hundreds, hundreds. Yeah. Oh, well, there's right. so many podcasts on that app, but, uh, yeah, you're doing well. Yeah. That's, and, and you're f- what? Fifth somewhere around there. Fifth I or think. sixth. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, I don't mind, I don't mind looking at, at uh, the back of your head. That's fine. I have no, <laughs> no problem I'm, I'm there. Glad that there's two soundtrack podcasts are in the top 10 of yeah. the music podcast so it's great yeah and uh also you can find me on uh on is it apple is it still called is it still called itunes or is it apple uh, music is it apple it's music like yeah. apple music yeah and there's a separate podcast app for that now and i don't oh. think it's called itunes anymore but yeah, uh, too bad yeah apple music you should be able to find the podcast there yeah so yeah you can find me there and also uh, Go to the store if you want to be stylish, and yes. uh, and, and uh, you know you can either go to Eric's Eric's website. There's a store there for his cinematic soundware, and you can also go onto my website, visionsandsound.ca, and uh, for the men, for the the um, the visions and sound uh, hoodie. Actually, the visions and sound hoodie is my favorite because it's really warm. Now I'm wearing my um, John Carpenter's The Thing, um, uh, my Outpost Thirty One hoodie tonight. But I just wanted to to say that, that I really I really like my my visions and sound hoodie. It's very warm, so pick one up. It, yeah. Trust me, it is worth it. Yep. And uh, so yeah, with that in mind, we are uh, we are celebrating the 35th anniversary of Aliens. And like I said, I re- just remember when I, when I first when, after after first seeing it from that time on, it 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 just seemed every film was kind of following up. Uh, f- trying to catch up to aliens. And uh, there was one film, and I'm trying to think of the name of it right now. I think it was called Exo 2. Mm-hmm. And it's basically a, um, yeah, it, it was one of those, fi- one of those early um, pay-per-view films. And uh, uh, the, the, the cable company that I worked for um, uh, allowed me to, to take a, a certain, certain films be able to watch like certain films without having to to pay for them and that sort of thing. So uh, I I watched Exo Two and it was very very much that uh, very very much an Aliens clone. So in a lot of cases, there's a lot of those at, at least around that time there were a lot of those kind of films coming out. And it's nice to see first of all James Cameron being Canadian right on the uh, on the the leading edge of that particular. Um, trend and I really um, <clears throat> the way the film is put together um, it's a very multimedia kind of uh, approach 
and when you think about the 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 shots, and this was definitely obviously before CGI. So there's a lot of stuff in there where I'm going, how in the world did he pull that off? And if you watch some of the behind the scenes stuff, you go miniatures and all of this, this stuff, it, there has, there has, there's something to be said about the, uh, the, uh, the art of doing miniatures because there was one, uh, there, there have been a couple of, of films where you go, those were miniatures. Really? Wow. In any case, back to uh, back to aliens watching watching the film. Now, um have and you you've mentioned this before a couple of times and we actually talked about it very briefly on the uh on the podcast tonight. Have you bro- uh um breached aliens with your kids yet? Yes. Yeah, I my son is not the biggest fan of watching movies. He likes his television shows and tv series but there's something about movies that just doesn't do it for some reason but i just so happened to be watching alien one night and you know he came downstairs and he sat at our kitchen kitchen table which is um right up again right next to our living room and he's watching alien i go do you want to watch this because i'm only 15 minutes in we can go back to the beginning i go come on have a sit beside your dad and so he was 14 i think this was last year and um we sat down and watched alien and he enjoyed it and i said well we can go two more hours and we can do aliens what do you think he was like fine so he was really into the story and then aliens is the one where his eyes were wide open it was definitely way more action-packed he he felt and understood alien but he realized that yeah there was something more to be told here and then when he saw aliens it was uh, quite an, an interesting experience and I mentioned it on the podcast a few hours ago that we were on where the best thing about having children for a movie lover is to watch uh, your favorite films through your children's eyes for the very first time. And so to see their reactions and whether they're going to react to certain uh, scenes the way that you did when you were a kid. And it's just so interesting to see whether they get you know different reactions or similar reactions. And so... He wasn't scared of it. I mean, he's watched enough not to be scared, mm-hmm. but there was enough to keep him on edge. And and he really, really, really enjoyed it. And we still have to get into Alien 3, and I keep telling him that we're going to watch that one of these days. Um, he's, unlike my daughter, who uh, she's a three years younger, and she really gets into movies. She gets lost into films. Mm-hmm. And so I can remember showing her The Abyss, and when she watches movies, she clenches her hands so tight because she is so nervous that she leaves nail marks on the inside of her hands. Wow. So uh, the whole um, uh, underwater sub battle in the uh, in, in the abyss, she was just so tense on the edge of, and screaming at the TV. I've never seen anybody do that. I've never done it. She screams at the television. So it's just a riot watching these type of movies um, with my kids. And so one day I'll show her um, uh, Aliens, and uh, I'm sure she'll she'll enjoy it. I think she's a little too young right now. But yeah, um, it's quite an experience um, doing that. And I, and I think any parent who's a movie lover getting to watch, you know, these... Uh, life-altering movies like Indiana Jones and Star Wars and Aliens and that sort of stuff with your children is just an absolute thrill. Right. 
Now, in in the case of Horner's score, um, he wasn't given a lot of time uh, to score the film. Now, um, I have, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna load it up here. Just just give me a second. Um, Jason Drury, who generally joins us for all things Horner, because he did an absolutely outstanding uh, audio documentary a couple of years back about basically James Horner's career. And so there is a um, section that he he did on aliens. And this is not Jason himself. This is his, I believe, his partner, girlfriend, mm-hmm. Mandy, that mm-hmm. is actually actually doing the, uh, the, the, the voice work here. Right. But this is this is all written by by Jason, and uh, like J- Jason, wish we wish you were here tonight. Um, you are wherever you are in in uh, in Ramsgate. Yep, Ramsgate, Kent. So uh, this is uh, this is part of his documentary. So let's have it's only like ninety seconds long, but it kind of it kind of uh, gives you an idea, a kind of the pressure that uh, that uh, um, Horner was under. So we'll be back in just a second. When being interviewed for the documentary Superior Firepower, The Making of Aliens, James Horner had this to say. I found that instead of the film being totally locked and finished, they were still shooting and it was coming out of my time to write the score allotment. I had six weeks to write the score, thinking that that was sufficient, but there was no picture to score. When I arrived, they were still shooting, much less editing. I sat around for three weeks, visited the sets, visited the editing room. They had 16 rooms at Pinewood with bins of films and trims. It was a nightmare. Engineer Chris Malone was a close friend of Alien's scoring engineer Eric Tomlinson. This is James Horner's recollection of that meeting. Jim, we are down to five to six days. I have to start writing and I can't change anything once it's written. It's got to go straight to the copyist because it's never going to make it to the stands. My job right now is to make sure that the musicians have something to play. At least that sounds 80% of what you're asking for. If I had more time, I would make it 100% but we don't. And Gail's response was icy cold. She said, well, we will get someone who can. And I said, please do. If you can get somebody more experienced and better able to produce this than me, I would like to meet him because I'm sure I could learn something. Well, inevitably, it all goes away. It's all just war talk in the trenches. But that was the attitude. Yeah, uh, and that d- d- you, you do get that feeling. I mean, there's not a specific mention of it in the, the, the films that, that made us uh, um, aliens section. But yeah. There was a lot of extra pressure that was going on there, and they don't talk specifically about Horner, but yeah, there is definitely that that pressure there. Now, it it it, it is kind of talked about in the um, the extras in the quadrilogy, and if yes. you don't have that, I highly like it's been out long enough that you could probably find it used in in like wherever wherever you find used stuff for a really decent price and uh it's there is a lot especially if you are a huge fan of of the alien the alien series and you've got alien aliens alien 3 and alien resurrection and uh that 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 alone gives you 
I would say at least 10 hours of viewing yeah. if it, yeah. like at the minimum 10 hours of viewing. It's, it's well, I mean, it's, it's well worth it just for the documentaries. Yes. Um, they are so brilliantly produced. Um, and the amount of information and yeah, they spend at least nine, 10, 11 minutes on the score for yeah. each film. And, uh, they don't pull any punches, man. Horner is honest as can be. And it was, like I said, it was a horrible experience yeah. for him. So much so that, you know, Jim Cameron and, and, and James Horner broke up because yeah. of this movie. Um, you know, there's rumors that they almost came to blows, but yeah, James Horner, I, I think was going to be tapped for the abyss. Um, but, uh, that didn't happen. Yeah. And thank goodness they kissed and made up for Titanic. Yeah. Uh, say what you will about the film itself. And, uh, it's, it is a technical masterpiece. Mm-hmm. but uh, the score is one of those scores that sticks with you. Absolutely. Um, and especially, and, and I mean, the, the funny, the funny part about it um, is that it was, it was, as you say, born out of strife, we'll say. Yep. And the fact that, uh, that uh, it would, that would have been an interesting conversation, maybe a phone call, like maybe around 1990, 96 going, uh, James, this is Jim Cameron. Uh, remember what happened on aliens? I'm really sorry about that. Uh, can you come and, and do my $300 million, uh, Titanic film, big boat film? Yeah. I, I can just, I can just imagine that conversation going, yeah. going on that way. It's, but, um, from what I understand, uh, from the, uh, uh, the films that made us, uh, uh, alien segment that he did apologize um, yes. one in, in a very, um, because, because of the, uh, of the, the, the rigorous shooting schedule and the Brits were just not, um, not in for it. I mean, the, the, the director, uh, the director of photography almost took uh, what was essentially taking over the film or, or right. trying to take over the film. Um, because who is this upstart American not not american canadian but american american director coming in telling us what to do yeah they were so used to working in a specific way yeah right um you know i don't think jim cameron understood what tea time was (laughs) (laughs) so so, yeah i mean it it was a, a hostile environment for cameron and the fact that he pulled through is um is miraculous it really really is and I've heard other horror stories about, you know, other directors coming in and trying to work with uh, an English crew and, and not saying that the English crews are terrible, but again, they're just used to working in a specific way. That's yeah. why they worked so well with Ridley Scott. Um, and I'm pretty sure that Steven Spielberg had his um, difficulties on Raiders of the Lost Ark because that was shot out in England as well. So, yeah, um, but then again, I mean, it's James Cameron and a testament to his work ethic. And, you know, you talked about the special effects. Well, the reason, really the wa- reason why it turned out so well is because that's how he began in the industry. He was a model yep. maker. He understood the tech. He understood what it took in order to make special effects look convincing. Yep. And so he's just not handing it off to this one department and that and that. His hands are all over this this picture true auteur yeah uh james cameron is this is his vision and he's going to make sure things look a certain way 
and these are going to be certain special effects shots, and this is the what's going to work in this on on set and and whatnot. And I mean, he helped design the guns and and uh, you know the new look of the aliens and how they were going to move. You know, hiring what was it ballet dancers um, because he wanted more fluid movement in right. the. In the alien, um, are they called drones? Yeah, the, they would be the called, workers. The workers or, or drones. Yeah, so I mean, he basically changed the look of the series, but still managed to keep it grounded within what Ridley Scott had already came up in 1997. It's almost like, like you couldn't tell that it's two different filmmakers. It's just so seamless from one to the other, although there are... Um, advances in Alien, and definitely, like you said, the film does look like a James Cameron movie. But yeah. it's not like he took it way too far, yeah, and and didn't make it familiar or relate back to the original Alien movie. It's just a perfectly complemented sequel to the original. Right. It's so good. It is so good. Now, and and I've heard a lot of people say that the action beats are almost the same as uh, the original Alien. Which you can kind of kind of see, yeah. But yeah. Uh, I re- I remember my my aunt at one point saying that alien queen just won't die, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that was a stroke of genius too. I mean, you, yeah. you want to you definitely want to go bigger and better in aliens, and 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 they did, and they did it so brilliantly. And um, yeah, like there's just nothing that looks wonky. Um, I mean, there's a couple other effect shots. You're like, oh, all right. Well, I mean, that could have been better, but it's 1986. 86, yeah. And it's it's the best that they could do. And um, but most of it looks just absolutely stunning and yeah. still super convincing. Like that whole battle between Ripley and the Alien Queen um, on the on the ship at the end, and you know, a mixture of uh, miniatures and other effects. And and I mean, uh, there was a real what full size um, the power loader, or, yeah. Yeah, power loader that she was in. I mean, like, come on. Yeah. I mean, nowadays, and even in James Cameron's future films, I mean, those power loaders are all CGI. I mean, you look at um, Avatar, they're similar power loaders, and yep. they're all kind of CGI. So, yeah, it's um, yeah, you can it's see amazing where, all this stuff worked. Where the, where the genesis of that comes from. Yes, yeah, absolutely. For, for me, the uh, and it is the tech. You mentioned the weapons. I yeah. mean, I desperately wanted... Uh, many, many years ago when I had a lot of disposable income and that sort of thing, you know, before I, I had like real, real life problems, I actually mm-hmm. considered getting a, a, a mock, a mock-up pulse rifle off of a, uh, uh, um, a site and sweet. you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to get one today. Now what I, what I compromised for, unfortunately it disappeared was, uh, the, one of those range finders that she puts on Newt. Oh yeah, and uh, unfortunately, I gave it to a friend to elect to put electronics in, and it mm. and it, it vanished. So, <sighs> which is too bad. Yeah, it is. But yeah, there's but there's a whole bunch of other uh, uh, other cool stuff that uh, in the films. I mean the 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 uh, um, the, uh, the sentry guns were yeah. were something. Even though they're they're something else in a. Uh, in in the the extra scenes, to me they are a really cool idea, mm-hmm. and, um, and there is well, actually there are, sorry. Go ahead. It's a great storytelling device that's missed from the film, just to sh- illustrate just how many 
aliens are actually on the planet. Yeah. Because we'd been dealing with only one in the first movie. Yeah. And now you're going to get an idea based on how many bullets are ripping through these guns. <laughs> you know, how many aliens are there and how many are still coming. Yeah. I mean, it, the, the, the display eventually does show like hundreds of them coming towards them um, at, at one point. But it's those guns that you'd think would just annihilate them all. And it doesn't even come close. And that's why I'm so, it's so sad that that scene is not in it. And it doesn't take away from the pace at all. I think it's a fabulous scene. It's right. one of those like really awesome, gung-ho, amazing, like, hey, remember that scene with you know the, the guns and the aliens? It's just, it sucks that that's gone. It's, it's the one scene I wish was still in it to this day. Yeah. Well, um, what I'm going to say is this. Uh, if... We're going to continue on with uh, some more music from the the Aliens score by James Horner. This is, uh, like I said, uh, an, an amazing. And if you if you're listening to it for the very first time, um, you're in for a great a great listen on this score. I will just say that. So with that in mind, let's continue on with some more music from uh, Aliens. And as we're celebrating the 35th anniversary of said film and we'll be back in just um just a bit
just gets better and better every time I listen to it. That is uh, Aliens, uh, as we're celebrating the 35th anniversary of both film and score. Uh, James Horner did a, a brilliant job on this film. One of the things we have been discussing off air, uh, and if you want to join the discussion, by all means, you can find just find my name on Facebook, Rob Daniels, Robert Daniels, actually, and you can find me... Uh, see my smiling mug and join the discussion. I would love to have you uh, get involved with this because oftentimes the off-air discussions are more, are, are better than the, than the actual on-air discussions. But we do, especially with Eric here, I, I really enjoy having Eric here because he brings such a, a, an insight to the, uh, to to the show and and I, I you can't see him but i can he's he's kind of got this he's always looking up at the ceiling oh. i'm i'm blushing <laughs> no but it is true it, i i i really like having uh, a secondary person who knows their stuff and uh and it's uh, i i felt that way with the, the dead again uh show and i always feel that way when when you're here whenever we we talk about raiders or when we talk about you know any of the indiana jones stuff or aliens or you know stuff like that it's always for me it's always a a pleasure to have you on the show i just i just want to say that oh it's always great to be here and i I just hey thank you for inviting me always always so yeah, um, one of the things that, like I said, we were having, like I said, the off-air discussions. Uh, one of the questions that was asked, and um, both uh, films, Alien and Aliens, both composers had very, very bad experiences, and um, we were discussing the idea: who had it worse? Was it Goldsmith or was it Horner? And I think we kind of were coming to the conclusion that eh, perhaps Goldsmith. But uh, if you don't know the story, actually, in both in both fil- both cases, um, the f- the score that was originally done for the film was cut up and retracked sometimes elsewhere, sometimes in inappropriate, but according to the composer, inappropriate places, and and that sort of thing. And in fact, even in in Aliens, there is a portion of Goldsmith's score that shows up mm-hmm. uh, in in the. Uh, in the in the end scene just before the elevator there's when you see the queen you actually hear i'm trying to remember the cue but it's that fluttering trumpets um right. sound uh, sound that, and that's that's actually from alien and uh when i first heard that i went that's from alien i mean even even though um i wasn't maybe when i first saw the film but you know as on later viewings i went yeah that's that's from alien in any case, um, so uh, we, we kind of uh, got off the, the little bit of the discussion, but yeah, who do you think who who do you think Eric got, had it had it worse? Was it Goldsmith or Horner? I I'm leaning toward more towards Goldsmith, but Horner had what you said what six days? Well, he had a very limited time to yeah. write it. I think he showed up like six weeks before in London. Yeah. He had to write the score there, but I mean, he was he didn't get a cut until. Maybe two weeks before he had to record, and right. he recorded one of the greatest cues of all time, or sorry, wrote one of the greatest cues of all time, Bishop's Countdown. Uh, the legend has it he did that overnight. Yeah. Um, the thing about Goldsmith, and he has been quoted in saying that Alien was one of the worst professional experiences of his career. The thing about Alien is that he thought he wrote a, a, a magnificent score right off the bat. The problem was Terry Rawlings 
who was the editor. <laughs> and Ridley Scott really couldn't make up his own mind. He was still very new. And so Terry Rawlings was the quote-unquote expert. And so he was the one that was basically dictating all the changes. And so from what I can remember, Goldsmith had to rewrite about seven or eight cues about seven days after uh, recording his entire score. And then, you know, so Goldsmith essentially rewrote those cues, including uh, the two opening cues, the main title and the hypersleep cue, which got rid of the main theme that he had introduced in his original cues. Um, but even after rewriting all of that, uh, all of his score was basically moved around, chopped up, spit out. There's only one surviving cue that plays from start to finish yeah. in the film. Same thing happened with Horner, although I am not sure of how many alternates that he wrote or how many times he had to go back uh, and rewrite cues, but we do know that the soundtrack was completely mangled in the film, although... When you listen to it, it doesn't necessarily sound like that. No. Um, it does sound quite cohesive, and 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 it works. It works so much that even the music branch thought, yep, it's great. We're going to give it an Academy Award nomination. The thing is, Goldsmith is a veteran at that time. He yep. has a terrible experience on Alien, but he can move on and, and work on other pictures, and he was always going to have a career. Horner's in his mid thirties, still yep. brand new, and um, you know this could have professionally destroyed him. And many veteran composers have had similar experiences, and it just completely ruins them because Hollywood just, you know, eats you up, spits you out, and and that's what happens. The fact that Horner survived after this and still became one of the most prolific composers yep. of all time. Um, is a testament to his uh, skill and his gift as a film composer. And as much as, you know, we hear him complaining a lot about the process in interviews, um, people liked him. People enjoyed his process, the, the music that he composed. Uh, he's one of the best emotional, pure emotional composers out yep. there. And he gets the job done and he can do it fast. Right. And so, yeah, both of them had terrible experiences though. I mean, both of just like awful, awful experiences on these movies. Now, whereas, whereas, um, Goldsmith's return with legend and, um, <laughs> yeah. well, we'll, we'll, we can, we can discuss that another day, but yes. the, the experience Goldsmith's return to Ridley with Ridley Scott on legend wasn't the best in the entire world, whereas opposed to Horner's return with Titanic was a much better, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously. Yeah, I then, mean, it, then that led to Avatar. Both scores received Academy Award nominations, and of course, Titanic won uh, too. So it was a fruitful collaboration yeah. afterwards. Unlike, like you said, with Ridley Scott and Legend and Goldsmith, that just turned into another mess. And so, yeah, Goldsmith was done with Scott after that point. <laughs> <laughs> he finally learned his lesson. I guess. Well, you know what? We're going to continue on with some more music from the uh, score to Aliens as we are celebrating the 35th anniversary. 35 years. Wow. I mean, I just uh, I keep think I keep thinking about just seeing this film back on on VHS, you know, like it was yesterday. Mm -hmm. It wasn't recently. No, it was 35 years ago. Wow. Oh, uh, okay. Oh, by the way, um something that I I just remembered and uh, this is i remember first seeing an ad for um alien aliens 
I didn't know what it was. I kind of figured it was a follow-up to Alien, but it was just this, this, um, it was in the back of some, one of those, one of those, uh, um, uh, rag magazines that you get from the, and I opened it up and you look at the back and, and uh, it was this full page black with just aliens. And in there are, what is it? There are some places you don't go alone or something like that coming soon or something along those lines. That's the first time I, I wish I'd kept the, the ad, mm. but that was the first time I'd ever seen anything about aliens. And this is like, this is pre 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 internet. Like I'm 16, yeah. 17 years old. And, um, so yeah, this is the, the this kind of blew my mind and kind of went, Oh wow. Okay. This is coming in any case. Let's uh, continue on with some more music from aliens. As like I said, we are celebrating the 35th anniversary of the film and we'll be back in just a bit.
you know, I'm sitting here listening. I've heard this music quite a bit. And I could just see Eric. I was I was sitting here and I'm just okay, gonna come back and oh suddenly the music strikes makes me jump every time. Every time when I when, uh when those those uh, the best way I can describe it is and and it's and it's a brilliant technique that Horner uses. Is is it's that that those those orchestra or those orchestral things that stings that sound like the alien. Yeah. That have that, and I mean, it's it, it like one of the things that we didn't we didn't discuss early on is that there's that scene in the in the um, the processing plant when when something runs by the camera and it gets that that uh, that that's the first first time we hear that and yeah. that when I first saw that that made me jump out of my seat. Yeah, yeah. but that's, that's a that's a horror trope nowadays. Yeah, I have, but it's distinct. Oh, for sure. It's a distinct Horner device. For sure. For sure. No, that's, that's definitely. And I mean, at the, that, that particular, um, it just, it, like I said, the, I don't know what it, what it's, it's a combination of, but it's just, it's, it's like flutes and piccolo. Yeah, and sometimes just, he hits it with an anvil. Sometimes he'll use a tam tam over top of it. Like yeah. The sounds like in face huggers, the tam is all over the face huggers. Right. Too, but yeah, it's like a. It's woods. I know it's a. I know at times there's a anvil, but um, yeah, like I said, there's a couple of uh, of these stingers that are hidden at the end of this album. Um, I uh, that are, does does. Uh, sorry to take a brief aside here. Does David <laughs> does 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 David Casina have the score for this? Probably. I would yeah, love like, to see one of those. What they are? What those? What those? Uh, those particular and how sure. it's how it's written, I think yeah. would be would be. I'm sure he would, could figure it out himself. Anyway, oh, I'm sure. So, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So. I'm sure. I'm sure the Alien score has been released by Omni, and I'll I'll, I'll ask him. I'll yeah. definitely ask him. Yeah. Uh, David Casina, by the way, is the um, the resident composer for Cinematic Sound. Is that correct? How you would That's how right. you would say that? Yes. And he so is. he's done he's done some some uh, some outstanding work. Oh, he's a in, great in, great composer in the past little while. So yeah. Um, some some great stuff. Anyway, um, so just if you're interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that we do play here on Visions and Sound, by all means, you can contact me at, of course, visionsandsound at gmail.com. You can also try me online at facebook.com slash visionsandsound. I'm also on the Twitter at visionsound. You can also find me on many of one of the many podcatchers, uh, good pods. Just type in visions and sound. You can find me that way. Give me, give me a review and uh, put some stars on, on a couple of the shows. I, I know people are listening. It's nice. It's just nice to know that, uh, what, what you think of the shows and that sort of thing. In any case, um, we are just about out of time here. But I, I wanted to discuss. We we discussed very briefly, and we um, we we could do another hour or two of of this. I'm I mm-hmm. guarantee it. But um, the thing is, is that we we briefly discussed James Remar, who was originally supposed to be Hicks. Um, he had, and he freely admits it on the uh, on the uh, the the movies that made us documentary. Uh, he had a drug problem. And he got arrested, and it was a huge thing, especially over in in the UK at that time. So that's why he was removed from the film, and why Michael Bean came in to uh, to do the uh, to do uh, the way they approach it in the 
in the in the in the movies that made us. And like I said, definitely watch these. They are definitely like little bite-sized, forty-five minute-ish uh, documentaries. There, there's one on Halloween. There's one on um, Nightmare. Uh, I was going to say the Nightmare Before Christmas. Actually, there they is one. one. Yeah, there is one. the one. The, the, <laughs> the Nightmare on Elm Street is is what I was thinking of. Yep. And Aliens and Elf and all of these 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 really. Uh, these really cool films that uh, that we all grew up with, at least uh, right. Eric and I, and yes. uh, several of the people who are on the on the feed tonight with us. In any case, um, yeah. So this is this is thirty five years, and the film has. I watched it recently, and it has lost nothing in that time. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, it's one of the for me. It's one of those those films that. Um, stands the test of time, very much like John Carpenter's The Thing, as we discussed in our mm-hmm. in our uh, um, podcast earlier. Um, so, yeah, there's just so many uh, g- good memories that I associate with this film. I mean, the the tech, the, the one thing we didn't discuss was, was the motion trackers. Those motion trackers are a great story device where it's it's not necessarily what's seen but what is heard that's right and then the whole i mean if you have not 35 years if you haven't seen aliens yet get off your butt and watch it because (laughs) um and you know what i i have heard there are people that don't like they like the first they like alien and they don't like aliens or they like aliens and they don't like the first film because it's too slow. Or uh, they, uh, I am, I am of the opinion, Alien Three. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Alien Three. It's an underappreciated film, but we will talk that 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 is another that is another topic for another show, another day. We will definitely, we will definitely discuss that. Eric, in the few minutes that we've got left, um, what have you got coming up on cinematic sound? I know you've got a huge plate of, uh, especially with Halloween being only just a couple of days away or actually just a day away. What I'm talking about. Yeah, it's been, it's been really busy. Uh, we did our Halloween week, uh, this week. So there's three Halloween shows, fresh Halloween programs <laughs> that are up on the podcast, including yours, uh, Rob, which is <laughs> every Halloween. I look forward to your episodes and sometimes I forget that you actually make it like a, uh, uh, like a radio play or, or a story. It's yeah. just, it's so much fun to listen to what you're going to do and how you're going to do it and how you're going to incorporate your story into the, the scores that you play. It's seriously, folks, go listen to uh, Rob's Obscure Scores podcast. It's on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network at cinematicsound.net. Listen to his show. You will have a great great time but there's so much coming up yep. uh, jason drury's introducing a a new segment uh, called talking soundtracks where he's um interviewing composers and he's done this before but it's now being uh put into a new segment so he's got uh bruce broughton um stephen smith who wrote the um bernard herman um uh, auto, uh, not autobiography, the Bernard Herrmann biography and the most recent Max Steiner biography. He's got uh, a whole bunch of other people that he's talked yeah. to. I mean, there's so many interviews that I have to catch up with in November. But anyway, it's it's a busy, 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 busy time yep. at cinematicsound.net. So check it out if you can. All right. Well, uh, that's all for us this week. Thank you for 
uh, hanging in those that did. I always say I'm going to run out of music on these shows and I never do. Um, <laughs> before I end off today's show though, as I hope as you're getting on with your day that you realize just how awesome you are. Never let anyone tell you any different. And if you're ever feel not feeling right, there are people out there that do care and are willing to chat. If not family, then some professional who can help. As Rocky said, nobody hits harder than life. I know from personal experience how hard it is for me to sit behind this mic week after week when I feel like no one's listening. I would never have made it this far without the support of a huge team of people behind me. If you or someone you know is in crisis and needs help, resources are available in case of an emergency. Please call 911 for immediate help. The Canadian Association for Suicide Prevention, Depression Hurts, and Kids Help phone at 1-800-668-6868. All offer ways of getting help if you or someone you know may be suffering from mental health issues. Well, join me next week as we head into November. Yes, November. With a celebration of the 20th anniversary of Halo. Wow. The video game Halo. 20 years. Yeah. Now I'm feeling old. I'll end off this week's show with some more music from Aliens. I'll be back next week with more Visions in Sound.